Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast, episode 38, Fright Night. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host, Hugh Lloyd, and like I said, we will be looking at 1985's vampire classic, Fright Night. Now, before I introduce my very special co-host on this episode, let's check out the trailer. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. This could be the night of your life. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And it is that time where I get to introduce my very, very, very special guest. Podcasting royalty here, ladies and gentlemen. Joining us from across the globe. <laughs> there is no escape from the mighty, the powerful, Gidget Von Ha <laughs> Welcome back, Mr. Lloyd. You've got a cup of coffee and you're right there. Gidget Von LaRue, ladies and gentlemen. How are we doing, Gidget? <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me back on your podcast. You know, I'm a massive, massive fan. Been on before with Paul yeah. uh, from Stock Horror. And we covered, I said, it was Carrie, um, Babadook. Yeah. And the cast at Paris. The cast at eight Paris, yeah, that's a good one. Um, but yet, look, look, I am absolutely thrilled. Thank you so much for having me back on. And oh. as I said, massive thank you podcast. Thank you very much, and thank you for being back on. You had a chance to escape, but you didn't take it. You fool! You fool! I know, I know. You, you I nearly got away, and you sucked me back in. <laughs> so close yet so <laughs> far. Now tonight. Cool or this afternoon, or this morning, or whenever anybody's listening, because obviously it's you're in the future, um, mm-hmm. which is still spinning me out a little bit. Um, <laughs> we I'm just are, sitting here with Doc Brown. We're having a lovely time. <laughs> yes, yes. Get the get, oh, Already, getting that 80s reference in there already. Getting that 80s oh, reference in there. I'm cheeky little monkey and I. <laughs> we are talking, of course, 1985s. I can't believe 1985. Fright Night. I know. I did, do you know, I, it just did not dawn on me that this film was released in 1985. Did not dawn on me. Don't know no, why. No, and, and, and that's the thing, watching it back again, actually, um, maybe it's because of the way Tom Holland filmed it or something, it doesn't look that aged. Really, the fashion's a bit, 
but that's that's about it. But it's it's really it's such an entertaining movie, and and this movie like the studio has had no faith in this film at all. They were, they were too busy uh, uh, preoccupied with that John Travolta, Jay Willie Curtis movie, Perfect, which oh, no one went to. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. There is something... I love Jamie Lee Curtis. We're, we're a huge fan at the retro cinema. We're a huge fan of Jamie Lee Curtis. But So it was kind of good in a way because the studio just let Tom Holland go off and make this little movie. They're just like, oh, there you go. There's you know $7 million. Go and have some fun. Go and make this little movie. And, of course, this ended up making $24.9 million at the box office. And it was the second biggest box office horror movie that year, I think, and behind Nightmare on Elm Street 2. It's, you know, I mean, I sort of, obviously, when this came out, I was five. Um, so I sort of caught up with this on VHS later on. Um, I think it was about, I think it was about 10 when I saw it. And uh, right. you know, the, the thing that instantly drew me to it, and, I, you know, I, you know, when you're in and out of the video shop all the time, the thing that always draws, drew me to it was the cover and that poster. Which yes. is just incredible. It is an amazing, amazing piece of art. It is just fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Remember, remember when uh, people used to paint posters? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think there's, a, there's such a charm about it. And, and, you know, both you and I have watched The Making Of, which is great. Yeah. And they, they, it's quite funny, that section when they're saying, like, this is this is one of the first horror movies that have spent a, a million dollars of their seven million dollar budget just on the special effects, and they're they're really good, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, and they'd already been uh, the Howling, they'd already been American Wolf in London, yeah. so they really tried to do so, something a bit new with some of the effects, but they're absolutely they're fabulous. Uh, and we should say out of the great, you know, we've got Chris Sarandon, who I'm a huge Chris Sarandon fangirl, yes. playing Jerry Andridge. Uh, Williams Ragsdale playing Charlie Brewster, Amanda Beers playing yes. Amy Peterson, and of course the late great Roddy McDowell playing yes. Peter Vincent. But uh, look, I it's so I, I was fifteen when this movie came out, so I'm older than you. <laughs> but but I don't remember going to the movies to see it. I I think. Yeah, again, it was, you know, I mean, God, remember back then, you just lived at the video store, didn't yeah, you? It was oh, just God, that yes. Yeah, completely, of, completely. Yeah, going, going down the aisle, and it was always the video cover that drew you in first. Like, oh, I always I remember Bloodstained Freaks and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, God, I don't care what the movie's about, but that, that video cover's awesome, and I'm going to watch that movie. Yeah, I mean, there are so many films that you sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> you get sucked in by, by just looking at the cover, and the masters of that were obviously Golden Globus. And the canon movies, um, and somebody put a poster up the other day of Invasion USA with Chuck Norris. No, that is the greatest poster ever for any ten-year-old boy. It's got a man in denim, double denim, may I add. There's tanks. He's holding two machine guns. It's Chuck Norris. He's got a beard. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's like this is the greatest film ever made. Why is this not won an Oscar? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a, I, I, I must, I must own this. But it's true, and, but, and then you sort of, you know, as you sort of, uh, you sort of go down the aisle and you see things like um, Gremloids. Have you ever come across Gremloids? If I saw the video come up, uh, cover, I'd know it. Right, the, the cover for Gremloids is amazing. It is, it honestly, it is far superior than the film in so many ways. 
so many ways. <laughs> You've got this um, guy who's dressed in like this sort of semi-Darth Vader outfit. You've got this sort of like a Princess Leia type character. There's laser beams. There's these little Jawa type creatures. There's these big spaceships. You think, oh my god, where, where, where is where where has this been hiding? This is incredible. This is the biggest sci-fi film I have ever seen. And you put it in, and it, it's clearly been made for about three pound fifty and a packet of fags. It's just, yeah. it's but but the poster, you know, and the film, you just boom, you were there, you drew you in. Um, but I'm pleased to say, yeah, that's you could go by back in those days. You'd go down to the video store, yeah. and you could get five videos for a certain amount or whatever, and an extra video. But you know, you'd you'd sort of peruse over the new releases. You'd go, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Seen that, but you'd head straight to the back where all the old B grade and C grade movies oh, are, and yeah, you'd beeline to them. Yeah, yeah, instantly because they promise so much. But I think it's fair to say that the marketing and the artwork for Fright Night actually matches the film perfectly. It is the it is it, it, it that sort of the, that image of the house. That image of you know the, the swirling mist and the vampire's face, um, and the fact that you know this is you know you, you kind of get a glimpse of what's underneath the sort of the, the cool sort of eighties vampire facade, really, don't you? And it's just oh, it, it, it's incredible. And I think you know in terms of like genre, um, what I think this fits really obviously this is a cla- you know this is a classic vampire film. In so many ways, it sticks very, very faithfully to to all the tropes. It throws it into that sort of update. It mock them either, and and there'd been a lot of movies like Love at First Bite and all those sort of <laughs> yes. things that kind of started mocking the whole vampire thing. And that's what Tom Holland didn't want to do because he obviously directed and he wrote this. This is was his directorial debut. Yes, I think he did a fantastic job. No wonder they gave him. He went on to do Child's Play because he just he just had a knack. Yes. For it. Um, and it, it is, it's really well directed. And it just, it seemed like a very good environment to work on as well. Everyone seemed to get on very well. Everyone clicked. Um, and you can, you can tell that watching the movie. Yes. There, there are good yeah. connections. Yeah. Um, no one seems like they're overacting or anything like that. And, and no. you care about the characters, which is a vital thing in a movie, especially a horror movie. You yes. have to care about the characters because otherwise uh, you don't care. Anything bad happens to no, them. No, no, no. And I think, you know, obviously Chris Sarandon is, um, as Jerry, as Jerry Dandridge. Um, oh, you actually... Yeah. <laughs> He's one hunk of man. <laughs> oh, oh, so, you know, look, obviously, you know, if he was Prince Humperdinck in, in The Princess Bride, he was yeah. meant to be the baddie in that. I still fancied him in that. <laughs> he was in a movie previous to this, which... Uh, for some reason, I my parents had on Beta or VHS, and it starred the Hemingway Girls yeah. and Chris Sarandon for a movie called Lipstick. And basically, the movie's just about rape. Really, <laughs> he rapes both the, both the sisters. Um, but I remember watching it over and over again, and even then, I still found it really attractive. There's something wrong with me. I, I... <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? You look at Chris Sarandon as as an actor. Um, and he's done a lot of theatre. He does a lot of theatre. Originally, he wasn't he wasn't particularly keen on t- t- doing Fright Night. They had to talk, they had to spend a bit of time talking him round to doing it. But when you look at right. his filmography, you know, if we go all, you know, you look at we've got Fright Night. You've got Dog Day Afternoon. 
you've got The Princess Bride, which I still think is right up there with some of the greatest adaptations of a book um, to screen. Yeah. The, the, the Princess Bride is perfect, and there's not many perfect movies. No, but The Princess Bride is a perfect movie, and, and anyone that says otherwise, well, I'll see you at the back. With yeah, my knuckle dusters. <laughs> you got child's play. Um, you've got, and then and then he shows up in you know he's the voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's um, it's incredible. I mean, obviously Danny Elfman did all the singing voice, um, but his range and his ability to play. Um, different types of actors, uh, different types of characters, is incredible. I mean, he's got 102 acting credits to his, you know, to his name. Um, yep. And you cannot say that he's he's stuck to type. He's stuck no, to type. Definitely not. You know, he's, and, and, and there's a lot of a lot of actors don't want to play the baddies, and and he's just one of those actors that whatever role he takes on, he gives 100 percent of him and i find that very similar with sam rockwell now yes like uh, i was discussing it with my partner colonel the other night and and we were watching galaxy quest yeah and i said it's it's hard to think of a bad role that sam rockwell has been in he might have been in not so great movies but he's always been superb in everything he's been in yes yes oh and that, that was the other thing we were watching the uh the green mile again and you know it, his character's Evil, as when you find out what his character in that movie has done, like with the little girl. Yes. He's evil, but you're still laughing at him. And that's a very hard performance to pull off. Yeah. Oh, God. It, it, it's, you know. And again, Sam Rockwell is very. He could have quite easily, I think, ended up being um, the lead. Um, but uh, he's, a, he's a fine character. He's an absolutely fine character actor. He's a perfect character actor because he's a yep. chameleon. He just disappears. He just disappears. Yep. Um, and he is yeah. definitely the, you know, new age Gary yeah. Oldman. I'd yeah. Say. yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think that's a, that's a good uh, summation. I mean, when you look at like, mm. and you look at then uh, William Ragsdale. Originally, Charlie Sheen auditioned for the part of Charlie, um, which um, I think could have been a very different film <laughs> if it had been Charlie Sheen. Different, yeah, very different. Because of course, previously he'd done. We've we've already podcasted the race. Yes, which he was in. Um, yes. we'll be doing Wall Street probably a bit later on, but yeah, I agree with you. I think it would have taken a very different direction because William Ragsdale bought a, quite a, a a very boy next door innocent, and Charlie Sheen has a bit more of an edge. Yes, yes. You couldn't imagine Charlie Sheen sort of uh, ignoring his girlfriend in the bed when she's taking her clothes off just so he can look at the window at his neighbours. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so yeah, there was a nice innocence brought to the role by by William um and yeah I, ca I can't it is one of those things I can't really see but I mean the, the most perfect casting was Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge yeah. and of course the one Roddy McDowell I mean the part was written of Peter Vincent for either Vincent Price or yes. Peter Cushing it, it was, um, yeah I mean they really really wanted um Vincent Price um but unfortunately yeah wasn't he, he wasn't very ill well yeah, he was so some, somebody recommended Roddy McDowell, and he's wonderful in it because he does play that, you know, has been washed up, has been sort of was big at one time, but never in really great movies. Yeah. The movies are all a bit. They, they show them on the on the television screen that Ch that um, Charlie's watching. Yes, uh, some of the old movies that he made, and I, I do like that to make 
you know, obviously they didn't have CGI no. to work with. No. So to make Roddy Dow look younger, they taped back all his face. Yes, well, it's a, to it's, make it it's an old trick. Um, and I tell you who uses it, and I only know this because I've um, myself and my wife are avid fans of RuPaul's Drag Race, um, is... I, <laughs> is um, it, it you know a lot of the queens will um, use that trick to pull their to take their their forelight their headline back to give them that sort of oh, uh, that non underneath the the wigs yes yeah yeah um, right but I, I need to start doing that I really do <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm absolutely desperate though to see that to see Peter Vincent's films I'm desperate to see yes you do. Well, supposedly, uh, Roddy McDowell actually filmed quite a lot. Yeah. We only get to see a snippet. There's, suppo there's supposedly – now, I know that there was a release, actually. Hang on. I've got the information here somewhere. I've got so much information on this this movie. It's it's crazy. <laughs> so uh, the, the 30th anniversary limited Blu-ray edition was yes. packed with X. was released in 2015. The 5,000 discs sold out in less than 48 hours. So that's yeah. really, really impressive, and I think they need to do another re-release of that. So yes. if you're listening, do it. Yes, I think, yeah, if you are listening, and, you know, we are open to freebies. Um, I, I'm not above Straight. a freebie. <laughs> not above a freebie. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> and speaking of that, hello, Apple, I need a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Nudge, nudge, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, when we're talking about Roddy McDowell, you are talking about somebody who is very, very much old Hollywood. Um, yes. And, you, you know, you look at his credits. He was in 263, 263 films in total. And, of course, everybody knows him uh, from the Planet of the Apes movies. Um, yes. He, you know, but then when you look... He was a child actor. Yes. He was in... Lassie Come Home. Yes. So he, much like Elizabeth Taylor, they were child actors. Uh, I know that actually they were both very good friends with each other, right? Yes. They were very, very good friends with Elizabeth Taylor because they've been through the same experience together. Yes. And, yeah, he grew up in the Hollywood system. And I, I think, uh, from the, look, from the sounds of all the people that were interviewed in the making of, he just sounds like the most lovely man. He could have been a prima donna. He could have come onto set and made all these demands. And he's just, they, as they said, he's just a lovely man. They'd go to his house for dinner. And I think he's also one of those actors, a bit like um, probably Michael Caine and people like that, that just keep working. Just yes. keep do, doing your business, you know, it's this is their job, and pe I think people forget that. Much like we we go to a job, well, I used to, um, <laughs> and the minute the minute you stop, you're not getting paid or you're not being employed, and that's the same with actors. They've got to keep working, and that's why I suppose a lot of the times they do make a shocker of a film because you know, as, as Michael Caine said when he made that dreadful Jaws movie, he said, "Well, it paid for my house in Jamaica." So yes, <laughs> yes, um, and I mean, you know, and. In terms of like you know he's you know he was like you said he's in Lassie Come Home he's also in another great um, another great horror called The Legend of Hell House, um, which oh I remember that movie. oh it's yep. so good and again the book for that uh, Richard uh, written by Richard Matheson is absolutely incredible it's really really good and I covered it briefly I did I on a what uh, what the Wookie what segment um, and I'm probably going to come back around and do uh, do a more in-depth uh, review with that because it's a he's, he's superb in it he's absolutely superb um wow and it, and I'll, have to, I'll have to 
that a rewatch. I've got I've got a list. I've got a big notepad, and I've got a list of eighties movies I need to watch again that I have watched, but I just need to watch again to, yeah. to see if we're going to put it on the podcast or not. And another list of movies that people just recommend. Go, you know, you have to see this. Yeah. Um. So I'll be adding that to for a rewatch, but well, I, I am sure that I see it. It's I. Th- I think um, if you looked on a certain channel of the U and the Tube, um, I think there is a full version of it on there. Um, or you, it's quite difficult to track down on DVD. There's no Blu-ray release um, that I know of, um, but I had to track it down. I got a, I think I've got a German import for The Legend of Hell House. That sounds really dodgy, doesn't it? I've got a German import. Um <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, he, he, and he's superb in it. He's really, really, really good in it. Now, the other person, of course, in the cast is Amanda Beers. Um, and everybody will remember her as Marcy from uh, Married with Children. Married with Children, yep, that's exactly right. I think I, she's really good in this. And I, I enjoyed her, I enjoyed watching this again with her more than how I, the way I felt when I initially saw it back in the 80s. Yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing, right? She was... Yeah. It was 1985, Fright Night came out. She's playing a teenager. The year after, she was in her first episode of Married with Children. (laughs) So that's... that's, I'm guessing that's why she didn't uh, come back for Fright Night 2. She was already married with children. Fright Night Two is a complete is is, a, is another show in itself, and I think the making of Fright Night Two would make a better film, made a better better film than Fright Night Two. But um, yeah. yeah, she she was in you know she was in Married with Children from 1986 till 1997. Um, so I I remember her character in that very very clearly, and then uh, that well that was the other thing she was I mean uh, William Ragsdale. Uh, who plays Charlie, he was meant to be 17 years old. Well, yeah. she, her character's meant to be around that same age, but actually she was in her mid-20s. She was 27. When she filmed. <laughs> yeah, 27. So I suppose, I, I guess that's kind of a good thing. It'd be kind of creepy if she was 17 and she had to do all those scenes with Chris Sarandon. Yes. Maybe yes. it might have been a bit e so. Yes. Uh, yeah, and that's the funny thing. You mentioned the poster. I loved in the making of how, look, they all spent a lot of time on all the effects. It's amazing how complex, like I'm not a very patient person. I, I'm very much a, oh, that'll do sort yeah. of person. So I'd be working on a movie because I'd be like, yeah, that, that'll do. Yeah, it's fine. Um, Don't worry. Don't, it's fine. Don't worry. Yeah, but they had to, that, that big mouth that she wears once she yes. starts turning her into being the, the, a vampire, that huge mouth, that had to be done very, very quickly. And the effects guy that did it was told, look, it's not going to be seen on screen for very long. Don't worry about it. It's just going to be very quick. And, of course, you see it a lot more than you do. I love the interview with him. And he said, please, if you've got the Blu-ray, don't pause it when she has that mouth because you'll see yes. all the faults in the mouth. <laughs> and he said he was amazed when the poster came out and that was the image they used. But he said, thank God they painted it and it looked a lot better than the actual effect. But yeah, look, all all the makeup story. I'm fascinating, fascinated in in movie makeup and movie effects. I watch any documentary about them, and that was another interesting thing. All the actors that had to put contact lenses in, they were actually glass. Yeah, the contact I mean, lenses. Contact lenses. I haven't had to wear coloured contact lenses. Um, um, certain, you know, certain friends of mine. You know, in a previous uh, incarnation, I was an actor at one point, and. Uh, 
various yeah. friends. Yeah. Oh, speed, <laughs> mm. uh, and a few friends of mine um, were budding filmmakers and what have you. And they just, I think it was just an excuse to torture me. Um, <laughs> and uh, having had to wear coloured contact lenses, they are the most uncomfortable, excruciatingly painful things to wear. Now, They've got much better because they are much, much thinner. But essentially, what these people, you know, what, you know, Chris Sarandon was putting in his eye pretty much, you know, you know, for an 18 hour period was glass. And not yeah. thin, you know. Steve, Stephen Jeffries, who plays evil Ed. Yes. Um, and, yeah, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Stark playing Billy Cole. Yeah. Pretty much the only one that, that got away with not having to put the contact lenses in was Roddy McDowell and Williams Ragsdale. But apart from all of that, they, and, and can you just imagine, like, I've, I'm the same. I've, I used to have coloured contact lenses in the 90s because they were fun and, you know, whoopee. <laughs> but but they, they are uncomfortable. To think you're putting glass contact lenses yeah. in your own paint. And they were really sick, and as I said, they could only have them in for twenty minutes to half an hour tops, oh. because I think one one of the one of them actually wore them for too long. They're just like, look, let's just get this scene out of the way. I'll keep the contact lenses in, and they end up scratching their eyeballs. It, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> That's not meant to go in your eyes. <laughs> no, no, no. Gla- glass and eyes generally don't mix. mix. No. Um, no, and anybody who's ever watched a Lucci Fulci uh, a Lucci Fulci movie will know eyes and sharp grindy things don't really mix so um, <laughs> that yeah. scene don't oh no having flashbacks oh. it never ends any, any eyes it freaks me out yeah i'm okay i'm okay throats being slashed limbs being cut off uh the, the two things that really get me in horror movies is anything to do with the eyes yes and anything to do with being put under your fingernails or toenails yes or or, or, or nails being torn off Toenails or fingernails being torn off. They're my two reaction things in horror movies. So if you're going to make a horror movie and you want to scare the bejesus out of me, put those two things in it and you'll get a big tick from me. Rats for me. I have a... Really? Oh, my God. I have a, I am terrified of rats. Terrified really? of rats. Really? I used to have one as a pet. Oh, my God. What is wrong with you? I oh. one. Oh. <laughs> I am terrified of rats. Terrified of rats. Um, wow, well, you'd be in trouble on those reality shows where you like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, no, and you've got to no. go challenges, and you're covered in. What about spiders? I'm alright with spiders. I'm absolutely fine. I'm absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, you don't have any death ones over there. That's probably why. Yeah, I mean, you know, pretty much, you know, a spider over here, you can take it out with a, you know, a fairly decent rolled up newspaper or a, or a good sturdy flip flop. Um, that'll take you know. <laughs> Done. However, the chances are, if we sort of uh, use that same technique on some of your native species, they'd kind of laugh at us, take the flip flop off us, and beat us to death with it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, a funnel web certainly would. Like they, they are, they are nasty, and actually, their 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 fangs are so sharp they can actually go through. If you're wearing like a very thin layered shoe, they can actually pierce through. The shoe, but I think the scariest ones are the redback spider because they're so tiny, and they like living around your toilet. So they're the particularly scary ones. A lot of people have been bitten on the bum and other bits <laughs> from a redback spider. But the the funnel webs that they live under the ground and they usually live under leaf matter and all that sort of oh, thing. But they're, they're quite robust, so you can see them. But I think we've got about 
eight spiders that'll mess you up. And you know the funniest thing being Australian? Most Australians are more scared of magpies, which is a type of bird here in Australia. <laughs> because when they're breeding, they actually dive bomb you. And look, I'm a huge bird lover. I have a bird. Yeah. I've always been a bird lover. In fact, I, I can't think of any animal that actually scares me. I wouldn't want to be in the water with sharks and I wouldn't want to be in a river with crocodiles. But that's only because, you know, you can't beat them, really. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you look it up. Aussies are terrified more than anything, more, more than sharks, more than a blue-ringed octopus, more than a funnel-web spider. They are terrified of magpies. And basically the magpies just dive bomb you. When they're nesting, they just dive bomb you. But they do actually make contact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But my, it's, it, it's a lot – it's a fair – I don't know. I think my family, I think it's hilarious that I am terrified of uh, of rats. Um, and I get – even. My phobia comes from it from uh, reading James Herbert's The Rats at a very young age, uh, and it fucked me up royally. There are there are a couple of things in my childhood that tra- that deeply traumatised me. Watership Down, The Plague Dogs. Oh, oh yes, oh. and um, <laughs> bloody Art Garfunkel. You know what? You know what? That movie put hairs on our chest. Oh, curly head bastard singing Bright Days. Um, but, and rats. I'm terrified of rats. Terrified of them. It's ridiculous. I can't even go into it. Is there a movie that's just based on a rat attack? Um, well, oddly enough, um, Zombie Creeping Flesh um, starts off with a rat attack um, where a guy picks up this dead rat and it turns out to be a zombified rat and it crawls up inside of his suit and eats his face. Um, at that oh. point... Um, I was sort of, I was in the house on my own watching it. Um, and we got two dogs. We got a big white boxer dog called Henry. And then we got a little Pouchon, right. which is a Bichon Poodle cross called Rudy. And uh, Rudy, you know, and he's black and white. So that's why we called him Rudy. Because we're, fan, you know, we like a bit of pumpkin scar. So he's two-toe. Um, <laughs> so he was, sat, he, and usually if I'm watching somebody, he comes and sits next to me. Um, and... Um, I was squirming and squealing and thinking, oh, my God, I can't, I, this is just ridiculous. Just look. Just, and I had to really force myself to sort of look. And the dogs, both of them looked at me as if to say, you all right there? You okay? Do, we, <laughs> do you want a cup of tea? <laughs> do, we, do, we need to go, do we need to go get Lou? Do we need to go get the boss? You know, I'll give Mama a shout. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but no, rats. So please, please tell me you have a horror pillow on your lounge. Because um, I do. Uh, no, I have a poodle. <laughs> so it's just like... You just put a poodle in front of your face instead. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty, and like I said, I am absolutely fine. And in, and in day-to-day life as well, I am genuinely fine with um, blood, guts. Um, you know, obviously working as a teacher, you have to deal with sick, um, broken bones occasionally. Um, I even had to deal with a bit of poo in my time. I'm fine. I'm, uh, I, I'm pretty good yeah. with that. I'm pretty good with that. However, you put a rat in front of me. My partner's the same. Yeah. My partner's the same. He's great with all that sort of stuff. I'm terrible. If he's sick and vomits, I'm like, yeah, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, rats. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. All right. Sorry. Well, I, I, I know what to get you for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Fright Night. Um, yeah. So, we, we mentioned Amanda Beers and things. Now, we come to uh, Stephen Jeffries. Now, I think it's fair to say that Stephen Jeffries has a fairly um, eclectic career. Yeah. Um, And sort of maybe he delved into a 
genre of uh, man snuggling movies. Um, yes, when you look at his IMDb credits, it's quite interesting actually. Um, because it's sort of, you know, he, 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 he was in a movie before this one with Amanda Beers. Yes, he so was. So that must have been nice for them to reunite for this movie. Yes. Yes. Um, it was, oh, God, what was it called? Um, I think it's like Frat Party or something like that. It's, I think it's one of those type of. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it was like a comedy and he played the romantic lead in it. He, he was the romantic yes, lead. Yes, which is unusual casting because he's not a classically handsome looking guy. He's a very. Um, quirky sidekick he sort of his character in movies always reminded me of um booger yes the character of, uh, he was always the sidekick in better off daddy's the sidekick in risky business he's the sidekick curtis armstrong yes um great actor. and revenge nerds yes. always the sidekick but never the leading man and that's kind of stephen jeffries reminds me of that same type yeah. of actor yeah now, the other horror film that Steve Jeffries is in, and I really like this, and I, I, I need to go back and revisit it, was um, 976 Evil. It's a oh, really, I it's, haven't seen that. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's really good, um, 976. It's uh, basically these people, they dial, um, they, they find out this phone number, and if you dial 976 Evil, you start receiving um, uh, supernatural powers and things, but what happens is you, you kind of lose your soul and you become this, you know, these like satanic type killers. It's, re it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. I think Robert Englund directed it, actually. Yeah, I think Robert Englund. Yeah, uh, Robert Englund directed yes, he it. Yeah, he mentions that in the in the making of. I just couldn't remember the name of the movie. But wouldn't wouldn't the cure for that just to be not to make the phone call? Yes, it would be. It would be. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, mean, I will check it out. Because, yeah. Yes, but do be careful when you are looking at his credits because let's say there are some interesting ones on there. Um, um, you know, he's uh, he's an interesting character. Um, right. Do you mean movies that are sort of uncomfortable topics? No. Uh, the fact that he sort of delved into gay porn um, is the... <laughs> yes, and a right, lot. Okay. Right, yes. gotcha. Hence the adult snuggling movies. Or man snuggling. Um, yes, I think what I, I kind of sort of... I was flicking through IMDb and, um, you know, you, you sort of look at his more recent credits and you've got... Um, uh, the Emerging, uh, Checkpoint with Bill Goldberg, you've got The Lazarus Apocalypse, you've got Bite Marks, um, you've got Emerging Past, it goes the, the Diary of Randy Rose, and then it comes to 2003 and it's got Three Dicks Are Better Than What? Three. Uh, three Dicks Are Better Than Three. <laughs> so you just go, <gasps> okay! And then you realise, okay, oh, oh, yes, we've done it, okay, oh, oh, it keeps going, it keeps going. <laughs> All right then, moving swiftly along. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, okay. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. So mm -hmm. be, you have been warned, people. In the same way that we do do spoilers on this uh, podcast, you have been warned. <laughs> be careful when looking <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Is it? Doesn't that go across the board for everything? Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. No. I remember playing with my partner. We said, is this a fetish? And we still haven't found something that's not someone's fetish. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be game enough to play this and be, and be prepared to Google stuff. But we, we were thinking of the craziest things possible, yes. going, that can't possibly be a fetish. Yep, it is. No, yeah. <laughs> when you look at mm. Stephen Jeffries in this film, when you look at his performance as Evil Ed, it's so strange. His choices, his voice, um, his mannerism. That you, laugh. That laugh. But you think to yourself, this shouldn't really work. 
this is so over the top, but actually it works so well for that character. It gives this character yes. this really sort of um, vulnerable... Manic? Yeah, vulnerability, this manicness, um, this strange um, quality to him. Um, that that sort of, you know, you get this fully formed character from it. And, like, he's, he, you know, the way in which that he stands, the way in which that he moves, it's... It, 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 it's the way he delivers his lines yeah. as well. He comes across to me as one of those characters. I, I, I think we've all known someone a bit like him yes. in our life. And they're sort of that – they're usually an only child. They don't have a lot of friends. Yeah. So they over-express themselves yes. sort of thing. Yes. And, I mean, for me – He does when, it really well. He, he, oh, God, he yeah. comes across – he should be unlikable, but he's not. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, those – he gets some, and he gets, you know, and for a sort of um, the psychic character, he gets some absolutely key scenes in this. Um, and in terms of when we're talking about the the quality of special effects work in this, the you know his transformation um, into the werewolf um, is just it, it, it's fantastic. It is one of the I think it's it's right up there with. Um, on-screen transformation, yeah, and yep. I, I think you know, and people kind of overlook it a little bit. And it's only going back and watching it again, you realise how good that transformation is. And it took them eighteen hours, eighteen hours to do that scene. Eighteen hours. Yeah. To- I like when they were talking to Stephen Johnson, who was the effects master that that did that, and he said he wanted to top the howling. And an American wealth in London because yeah. he said they were very strong transformations. He wanted to do this transformation of Evil Ed's character into the wolf. Yeah, a more uh, just part of the body's going at part of the time. You know, it's not yeah. it's not direct. It's it's hard to explain, but I understand when he was talking about what he meant. It's like half the face is still human and half the face, rather than the entire face, fully go wolf straight away. Yes, yeah. And so he wanted to do something kind of new. I liked when they were talking to him. He's like, I, I really wanted to try and top those, yeah. <laughs> those yeah. well transformations. And I suppose as an effects artist, that's what you'd want to do. You'd look at previous work from people and go, okay, I can do that, but I just want to make it just that little bit better, just like with the whole um, when uh, Charlie pushes the pencil into Jerry's hand. Yes. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And that, that was actually um, the effects uh, artist, I think his name was Roger Edlin. Yes. Um, also Steve Johnson as well. Uh, but they'd been inspired. They'd seen the scene in Excalibur, the movie Excalibur, which we at the Retro Cinema have podcasted. And that scene of Lancelot when he's naked and the sword coming out of him, pulling the sword out of his side. Yes. And that's how they got inspiration to do that effect with the pencil. And, again, it's a really great effect. And I like when actually Jerry transforms. It's not your typical – you know, as they say, it's not your Belly Lugosi no, vampire. No. He's, he's quite distorted and horrifying, yes. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and and it's it, it's the sort of the the creature underneath. You know, the the sort of the suave, sophisticated sort of urban um, vampires, the facade, but actually underneath it is that is that beast, that creature, that you know that the, you know the the evil heart know, com, comes out in the yeah. yes, and you know the, the the dark heart comes out, um, and it looks I painful. If it's that- first movie that kind of did that with the vampire i'll have to look into that because i can't remember a movie beforehand where was that, vamp that did, out, 
Vamp with Grace Jones. If only there was some way we could look at these things. 1986, so this was oh, out before oh. that. That was it, and yeah, so, because they kind of went with the sort of not so, uh, the, the funny looking vampire. Um, very much in the sort of, in the vein, but it came out the year after, but they might have been filming at the same time. Um, but it, mm. if you look at like the way in which Jerry looks, and then you look at the evolution of vampire makeup from there, and I could be wrong because there's probably some you know experts out there on sort of uh, vampires and uh, uh, movie vampires and all. But if you look at his makeup, you then look at Vamp, you look at Lost Boys, and then you look at Buffy. They all share very very similar qualities. They all have the, the yes. you know the the, uh, the visible sort of cheekbones, the stretched skin. Teeth aren't just your traditional sort of you know they, they, they're a little bit more prominent they're more they're more feral um, it, it, it's a more feral beast type look isn't it it's that sort of creaturey yes. which is uh, which is really which is really cool because obviously um, and and Bram, obviously the Bram Stoker's Dracula as yes. well when Gary character you know he's the old man he's the younger man but then when he does transform into the beast it is a beast it's yes. more of a beast than a, than a human being yeah i mean jay uh, jay the dead in the horror movie podcast describes uh, puts them almost in like two sort of um sort of uh, categories of vampire you get your sort of your sophisticated sort of bella lugosi type vampire and then you get your sort of your, your feral type uh type vampire and they sort of what's interesting well, to you it's a bit the same as the werewolves isn't it you yes. either got your 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 wolf werewolf yes or you've got man in wolf makeup but still yes. walking around like a man yes sort of thing. yeah mm. yeah 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 it's 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 um but that look is is amazing and that transformation scene and roddy mcdowell's face during the transformation scene as well is is it's it, 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 superb acting it's superb acting and then when you know evil ed attacks him and uh, spoiler alert, but I'm, you know, this film came out in 1985, so if you haven't seen it now and you're listening to a podcast about a film that you haven't seen, pause this now and go back and watch it <laughs> immediately. You've been warned. Um, and then. Do it, because it's, it's honestly, it's not a full on, like, there's scary stuff in it. Yes. But there's also really nice um, air of humour about it as well. And, you know, Chris Sarandon really plays it. He's so suave and. Mm, and <laughs> yeah, as you said. Stop this now. Go and watch the movie, and then come back. Yeah, and I mean the bit where Ed attacks him, attacks Roddy McDowell, and he stabs him. Is it is it with the leg of the chair that he stabs him with? Um, I think so. Yeah, he stabs him with the leg of the chair, and you know the the werewolf goes over the side of the banister and falls down the stairs. Um, and then he's, you know you can see the horror on uh, on Peter Vincent's face, and he runs down and he's sort of comforting him as he's dying. It's, it's it's a brilliant brilliant scene, um, and the combination of and this is pre CGI, um, and it just feels real. There is a realness in that scene, even though we were dealing with werewolves and vampires and you know transformation and stake through the heart and all the rest of it. But it feels real, and that's because of the performance between uh, Roddy McDowell and Steve, Stephen Jeffries. It's a great 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 scene, superb scene. Oh. It is, and you can you can feel the emotion. Like it's actually a really sad scene. And even though Evil Ed has turned evil, yes, <laughs> he, he should have said that. It's in his name. Yes, <laughs> he was, yes. Was to be evil. Um, even though he's turned evil, it's it is that it is a very sad scene. And I I love that that bit where um, uh, 
Peter Vincent looks over after he's, he's pushed him off the, the barricade of the stairs. Yeah. And there's actually the, a wolf there. And it looks like a real wolf. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's amazing. And then, of course, he starts trans transitioning back into being human again. Yes. But as you said, the transitions is fantastic. And, and Roddy McDowell's performance, and you actually think he is really crying. Yes. And, yeah, it's a, it's a very sad scene. But, there, look, that's the lovely thing. There's really great diversity in this movie as well. None of it's hammy. No. Which I think is fantastic. I think that's why it worked. Um, scenes like that, very emotional scenes. You've got very funny scenes. You've got very sexy scenes. Certainly when uh, Jerry Dandridge is seducing Amy, those scenes are, are very, very sexy. And, oh, I should just say as well, the, the composer is Brad Fidel. Yes. Now, he did amazing Terminator uh, music. Like yes. the, you can't go like you just have to play a sting of that and everybody knows well, what that music is. You see, is. And all of a sudden everybody starts going, yeah, exactly. And all you know, yes, yes, yes. You know, and I mean, I iconic. Yes, it is, and I think, and I mean, the soundtrack for this is so good. It's such a good soundtrack, and it's fantastic. They they did all the. I mean, Brad Fidel previously had only done soundtracks. Yes. So he hadn't done a song, but he actually did write, I think he wrote one or two songs for this as well. But they also had the Jay Giles Band. Yes. They, they, they sing Fright Night. Uh, you can go onto YouTube and watch that film clip. There's clips. That's another thing I really miss. We talk about this on the retro cinema all the time. Music written, songs written specifically for movies with the movie title in them and the music clip has either the people from the movie in the music clip or there's clips from the movie in the music music clip. Yes, and I they mean, the, the only really th- don't do that anymore. And, and they used to be so much fun. But they did. Yeah, look at Fright Night song. It's it's a really good song too. With the exception of John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Have you seen that? The music. <laughs> the, with, it's oh oh, yeah, oh, yes. oh I love that, John. That was, Carp- that was- third podcast it's one of our favorite movies oh i love john carpenter i do and i love i you know i really like his music however the, his that his song. Th- that song and that video big trouble <laughs> in little china holy <laughs> shit. not one of the best shit john you know you gave us halloween you get you know, and you listen to the lost themes album i tell Leighton every time he's on listen to the lost themes album listen to it it's brilliant um but yeah oh man but no, you are right. My favourite of all the 80s um, sort of movie uh, theme tune tracks um, is Billy Ocean's When the Going Gets Tough. And you've oh, got, Jewel of the Night. Yeah, yep. yeah. And you've got um, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito, and, Danny Michael, DeVito, yeah, and Michael Douglas, Douglas in the video as the backing singers. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Fantastic. We did uh, we do a, a top ten now at the end of each month, and we yeah. did top ten original songs written for eighties movies. Yes, and that that's was a really good on my list. Yeah, really. and and uh, I think it was on Angry's list as well because it's just such a great you know the movie the song is better than the movie. I still like Jewel of the Nile, but we just recently podcasted Romancing the Stone, which is a great movie. Yes, there was a song written for Romancing the Stone, but it just wasn't used. So I think they thought when they finally did the sequel, they're like, well, we better we better you know, get a good song for it. But, I mean, yeah. that's that's such a great music clip. Yes. And, of course, Ghostbusters as well. Yeah, Ghostbusters, yeah. Ghostbusters Yeah, I mean, you know, I think people kind of dismiss Ghostbusters because it's kind of like a sort of, it's become that sort of almost like a cliche type song, hasn't it? Um, and it's sort of almost like that, that sort of kids party type song. But actually, 
Um, it's, it's a great. It's a great track. It's a great, great, great track. Yeah. But I think coming back to Brad Friedel, uh, Fidel, sorry, in this one is Brad Friedel played. He was a goalkeeper for uh, uh, played for Everton, <laughs> but not to confuse the two. <laughs> um, Brad Fidel, um, his music is almost like another character in this film. That's absolutely of, that main it's, theme. It's, it's, yeah. It's it's easy to watch a movie and and forget unless it's like a real stinging piece of music like in Platoon. Yes. Um, unless you've got big that really draws your attention to it. But watching Fright Night again, I really took notice of the soundtrack and I've now ordered it yes. off Amazon. It's a great, great score. I'm going to listen to that in the car because it's great. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely superb, and it it, it sort of, I mean, let, you know, let's get that out. The nightclub scene where um he's seducing amy um is very 80s it couldn't be any more 80s if it wanted to be um but it works it really really works um and it sort of has that feel of like the tech noir scene in terminator it's yes got- it, do- it does and you know what also it reminded me of it reminded me of not an 80s movie but um basic instinct yes when uh but but the the Chris Sarandon's character is actually the Sharon Stone character, and she's doing that seductive dance to the Michael Douglas character, and that was the same thing. That everyone's bopping all around them, and they're doing this sexy dance right in the middle of the dance floor. Yeah. But it's 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 a very hot scene, and I did I did find that funny in the interview with Brad Fidel. He said he wrote a piece of music for the scene when finally they're in the bedroom together. Uh, they're naked. You don't see anything. And he finally bites Amy. He wrote a song for that, and he'd already ri- he'd written lyrics for it as well. But of course, Tom Holland said, "Look, the lyrics take away from the scene. We're just going to play a bit of that music." Yeah. And he had, he had a woman at the time phone up and ask him for the longer version of yes. her and her husband. It's too short, so her and her husband wanted a longer version of that song. He just and I I just think that's hysterical. It's. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure it was uh, because they they cook very long meals and they just want the music. Yes, of course. When they... Of course. Mm. Of course. I mean, the one sort of thing that, it, again, it does have in common is, you know, Chris Sarandon and Michael Douglas and the Basic Instincts, both rock a mean sweater. Oh, they do. They do. <laughs> yeah, they do. I think... You've got to have a certain body type to wear that tight sweater. You can't be a big Arnie type guy. No. And it looks weird on skinny guys you've yes. just got to have that nice chest good frame and yeah just that mm, yeah he looks great see now i've just got to say something completely out of context what is with simon cowell and his clothing i i don't know i think he'd like to be jerry dandridge i think he would be. i think so too. and i don't get it he is a billionaire i guess and he wears the cheapest looking t-shirts i don't get it you know we're watching britain's got talent at the moment here <laughs> The, the recent one. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is we enjoy Britain's Got More Talent a bit more because of Stephen Mohan. Yes. Um, yeah, he's great. But, yeah, I, I don't get – and I was thinking that watching Fright Night again. I'm thinking that's what Simon – I think Simon Cowell wants to be that, but he's not because he's no. too short. <laughs> <laughs> he's no Jerry Dandridge, I can tell you that. No, no. no. But that scene itself, um, if you think about, you know, in, you know, in any kind of sort of – vampire film film they tend to have you know it's a bit of a trope of the genre where they do have the the sort of seduction scene but if somebody turned around and said to you oh we're going to set it in a nightclub and it's going to be this and it's going to be that you think oh it's a bit cheesy really but it works 
in the context it, it, of this film, it really, really works. And then following that scene, you get the incredible... I think, is it before or after? I think it's after, actually. Um, it's before, sorry. The yes. I had to mention the with the bounces because I love... I, I just instantly thought of Roadhouse, the throat rip. Yes, of course, of course. It's a standard technique. <laughs> that they, the throat every now and then. <laughs> yes. It's a standard technique they teach all sort of people who work in sort of any kind of sort of... Uh, uh, bouncer type job, you know, in the event of any kind of scuffle inside, you must rip the throat. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like instant death to calm the crowd down. Um, and always be nice. <laughs> yes, always be nice whilst ripping the throat out. Um, exactly. But you, the other scene that's, you know, I can't, is, is it before or after, is the scene where Jerry um, essentially seduces Evil Ed's character, where he turns Ed. That was before in the it's laneway, before. wasn't that's it? That's right. Yes, that's right. That's right. And you hear that, you know, that scene is, um, you know, is sort Animal, of... Isn't it? It's it not is. horrific. It's not scary. It's actually um, very, very softly played by Chris Sarandon. It's, it's, he doesn't attack him. He doesn't... It, no. He's just no. basically... You know, give give me your hand. I know what it's like to feel different, and and it's a really lovely scene because well, you it, kind of think, well, if I if I was in Evil Ed's position, I'd probably go, yeah, right. But yeah, and I mean that scene is sort of it, it's it's it, it's it's compelling, it's frightening, it's quite disturbing on 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 some level. I mean, there is a lot of it's very very layered, and there's a lot of subtext on going on there. Is you know it it's it sort of it sort of really speaks to the sort of predatory nature of um, of Jerry Dandridge as a character, and I think in the hands of another actor, it wouldn't. It, it, there's no way on earth it would have worked. In no way on earth would it have worked as well, because yeah, he, I, I agree. Because he, Chris Sarandon just brings so many different levels to this character of Jerry Dandridge. Yes. Yes. He, he can be really frightening, then he can be seducting, and then you can actually go, oh, I really like him. I, I wouldn't mind being buddies with him. And I, I, I do like that when they were talking in the making of, when they were, they were chatting to um, uh, Jonathan Stark, who yes. plays Billy Cobb. I love how he says, when, when he finally dies, that's another great effect, when he finally like casts yeah. it in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's fabulous. It's so good. What is Billy Cole? What is he? We don't That's know. That's what he wants to know. The actor wants to know that as well. Now, in, in the, the Wikipedia breakdown of it, they actually call him – hang on a sec. Da, da, da. They call him like a, a zombie – Familiar type thing, that, is he? Yeah. Yeah, but just – I think it's one of those things – I don't think – there needs to be answers for everything in movies. Nothing, no, not, no, everything no. doesn't need to be explained. There doesn't need to be a background for anything. Um, and it's just—it was just a really cool way to kill him off yes. at the end of the day. Well, just, it, 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 and again, it shows the sort of um, you know the, the attention to detail because otherwise this could have just been a very very you know small budget um, horror movie that just sort of got chucked out and and, and lost. Um, but you know, it's those—it's the scenes where, you know, we, we we talked about the transformation. We talked about the you know, the the, that, the scene with you know Jerry and Ed in the alleyway. Then you got the scene where Billy is you know essentially just melting and is like green and gooey, and you just think, oh my god, what is going on here? But yeah, he's got like green stuff coming out from his pants, and yeah, and, it's just oh yeah, 
It's like everyone's kind of a different creature in this movie as well, which I really like. They all die very differently. Yes. Like finally when Jerry Dandridge is killed off. I liked how, uh, I mean, there was a lot of effort put into that as well. And that's the thing. It was full on dedication in this movie. When yeah. You can really appreciate it when you watch the movie and then you watch the making of the, the dedication of these people. It's their art. It's their craft. And they're going to do it as well as they can do it. And I loved how they used uh, the – from Ghostbusters, when the old yes. librarian right at the very beginning turns into the crew, that big monster, yes. and actually used that face for his final skeleton. <laughs> so if you still keep an eye out for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and what's brilliant as well about that the scene where the bat flies at Peter Vincent, and yes. he catches it. What a great bat! He catches it. Now Roddy McDowell actually broke the prop. For that, because he caught <laughs> it and he hit it on the head and shattered the uh, the skull of the uh, of the bat, so they had to stop filming and then super glue it all back together. Because he hit <laughs> it on, on, yeah, he hit it on the head and just the thing just broke. So they had to go sort of glue it all he back together. He yes. was obviously getting to it, and so you know. It's, you, you never know how fragile some of those effects are, but I mean the bat's fantastic. The wings, the, the, yes. the effort that into as, as the effects guy said previously before it was just you know plastic black bats on fishing line. Yes, yeah. Going, people just flinging them around, but this it's it's it, the bat's fantastic looking. And the sound, um, and the soundscape yeah. around that is absolutely superb. It is um, you know it, it is it is incredible. It is an incredible you know. Piece and and it's sort of again we're looking at things that are all practical effects. There's no CGI. Everything is real and it feels real. And there's and it's you know. I know people sort of say, oh well, you know, there are advocate. You know, people do love. There are some people out there who really, really love CGI. I hate it personally. Um, I think if it can be done practically, it should be done practically, because. I could not agree more, and I think that's why still to this day the original Jurassic Park holds up better than any of the other movies, and I'm including the most recent one with Chris Pratt. Yes. Because combination, it was a combination when they had to use CGI, they used it, but whenever they could use practical effects, they did, and that's why it still looks good today. Yes. And I think there's a lot to be said for it. The the thing made in the 80s, Rob Bottin, that still holds up today. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yeah. when done well, certainly there's a there's a slew of movies that you can just say really bad effects. But I, there's a lot to be said for it. I really admire the work that they do. There's a great American show called Face Off. It's a reality yeah, show. Yeah, it's great. And people, oh, I love that show. And and I just think when it's done well, it just looks so good. And and you appreciate the effort that people have gone to. And the minute any sort of a CGI effects brought in it just takes you out and of course now we're just flooded with it like yes. everything's just what well, you know and it's it's, it's, it's a lot of, lot of work, yeah surely it's, yeah it's kind of lazy yeah, yeah CGI is very lazy they can just sort of chuck it in and the one thing I absolutely hate and it can never ever works is CGI blood CGI blood oh my god never works yeah never ever works now but why why do it because when, it's cheap. I, I just some, some choice, I know, I know. Some choices, I just think, well, why? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's why our podcast just does eighties movies because it was kind of the last era before the CGI really started to yeah. be used a lot in movies. Well, actually, you know, when you think about the one of the very very first 
films to really go for uh, a full CGI uh, look was The Last Starfighter. That was yes, we're doing that soon. Yeah, it's a great film. Great film. I love, the last, it. I love The Last Starfighter. It's very silly. It's very, very silly. But it's, it's, it's magnificent. Magnificent film. Even with, even with the, the creatures, they're still... Practical. Makeup. Yeah, yeah, the practical effects, and and actually we were watching um, Galaxy Quest again the other night, which is a really fun movie, yes. and and that very smartly did the same thing. Like the the actual practical effects are amazing. The bad guy in that 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 makeup effect is just phenomenal. And yes. where they could, they did. Where they couldn't, with like the rock monster and stuff like that, they used computer effects. But it works out well because they're using a mix of both. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you and I should be making movies together, bud. <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm waiting for the call. I'm waiting for the call. Hollywood, you know where yeah, I am. Don't phone. All yeah. right, thanks. You're on. Now, whilst we're on the bat kind of related theme, there is a brilliant piece of trivia in this, and I love this. You see Jerry Dandridge yep, eating awesome. an apple. What? Jerry yeah, Dandridge. he's always eating an apple, isn't he? Do you know why he is eating an apple? something to do with vampire myth or something like that? Nope. Chris Sarandon came up with this idea that obviously he was, um, it is a little bit to do with that, but he kind of took a little twist on it, that sort of, um, you know, vampires turn into bats. Um, what's one of the biggest type of bats out there? Um, is that Jerry... Fruit, fruit bat, Yes. So Jerry shares fruit bat DNA. That's why he's eating fruit. Uh, I like that. I like that. We've got fruit bats everywhere in this country. They are massive. They're like flying possums. <laughs> they, oh and actually, the, 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 bat, the bat in this that they use, the, the fake bat, that does look a lot like the fruit bats here, except they've got furry bodies. The real ones, they've got furry bodies. They're actually quite cute, actually. I think they're quite nice, but they're they're a major pest. But yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. That yeah, I was I was thinking. He's, I thought either that or he's just a health fanatic. Yes, well, yeah, you know, you've got to be careful. You're drinking it, it. You're drinking all this blood. You don't really know, you know, some, you know, they could have been eating, you know, junk food. You've got to make sure that you keep your calorie intake <laughs> down. You need the fructose. You know, it's like the great scene in. Um, uh, Love at first bite where he bites the wino, and, he, <laughs> yes, and then he he's hammered. Drunk. Yes, it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. I love that. I, I, you know, I, there are a lot of people out there who give love at first bite. A, 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 they, they give it too much grief and they take it far too seriously. I love um, love at first bite. It's such a silly film. It's such a silly. Oh, film. It's, it's, you know what it is? It's camp fun, and yes. that's one thing this movie at night isn't. No, and I think Tom Holland was very smart to do it the way he he did it, and and again, this is why it's so successful. It is a major cult film now, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean, the sequel is 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 fun. It's entertaining, um, but there's a lot of there's problems with it's it. It's nice to see Roddy again. Yes. I suppose. Yeah, but they, it just doesn't just doesn't hold a bar up to the first one. No, they wanted to do a third one. They wanted to do a third one as well, um, but it sort of um, it didn't. It just didn't pan out, and then of course we get the remake, um, which oh. is just uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was obviously the Colonel before I before I started the podcast with you, and we were talking about it, and we were trying to think of you know we watched it. I don't remember it. I think Colin Farrell was in it. Yes, he um, was. And it, and it 
and it was the same with the RoboCop remake. Oh, that sucked. God. Uh, what was the other thing Colin Farrell was in? He was in another remake. Uh, Total Recall. Yeah, Total Re- Again, It doesn't sucked. exist. It doesn't exist. There's only one Total so, Recall. Just go back and watch these originals. In you know, the, and all yeah. right, yeah, the, the play is a remake and the thing is a remake, but they're fantastic remakes and don't need to be remade again. No, no. No, the other remake that doesn't exist is the is Conan, the Conan remake with Jason Momoa. Momoa. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, doesn't exist. I Sorry, love, doesn't exist. There's only it. one. And look, I love, Colin, I love Colin Farrell as well, but that that doesn't save the movie for me. You could put all my favorite actors on in one movie, but if the movie's no good, the movie's no good. No, and, and not no good, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, just a waste of. Yeah, send, send, send all that money to starving kids or something. You know, honestly, <laughs> doesn't, need, doesn't need to be remade. Well, oh god! I mean, and this, you know, I think Fright Night captures it's lightning in a bottle. It's it is. It captures this sort of. Um, there's a really really good book um, actually out there called um, Horror, and it's by uh, it's sort of like the definitive companion um, to sort of horror. To, to horror movies through the through the ages, and it's written by Kim Newman and James Marriott. And uh, one of the things that they write about there's a genre. I, my my voice is going. Excuse me for a second. <clears throat> um, they they talk about is um, a, a, a sort of almost like a subgenre of sort of urbanoia, sort of that urban paranoia. And when we look at sort of, it's a brilliant you know Fright Night is a brilliant example. Of urbanoia, isn't it? It's the you know when you look at the plot for the film, it is such a simple idea. It's that, um, and Tom Holland got his sort of inspiration from this, uh, from the story of the boy who cried wolf. Um, you know, and it, it's sort of that idea that the, you know it's the boy who cried wolf. So Charlie, you know, his obsession with fictional vampires means that no one believes him when when actually living next door to him is a real vampire. Um, you know, actually, what this reminded me of is the Burbs. Yes, yes. And actually, houses remind me of it too. Like Ray Peterson lives in a house very much like Charlie Brewster. Yes. And the Clopex yes. lives in a house very much like Jerry Dandridge. Yeah. Dandridge is, yeah, it's a very, and, and the Burbs was later on. So I have a feeling the Burbs borrowed yeah. from Fright Night. And I love bit, like, the scene where you've got, where before they enter that house, you see all the smoke billowing out of the dry ice and everything else billowing out of Jerry's uh, Jerry's house it sort of takes the sort of the urban and the mundane and sort of gives you this sort of sort of neo-gothic uh, suburban nightmare feel to it isn't it it's that sort of and you know yeah. and then you add to that this the, the clopex you've got this this ominous house yes. and then there's that fine line with the lawn there's yes. not even a gate no. fence You've got this really very uh, – they, they made William's house with – we should say he just lives with his mum, obviously. The, he's the only kid and his mother's obviously got divorced or something because the father's yeah. not there. And she's very good, the, the woman that plays the mother as well. She's brilliant. She's absolutely superb. All, she's great. And the house is all like flowers and you're just waiting for like little Disney birds to fly down and it's all very – and it's just that juxtaposition of what's li- right next door. And yeah, the Burbs did it as well. Yes. Um, I, I, I do like when the Burbs and Ray Peterson. He just takes that one step 
over onto their front lawn. <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden the wind swoops up and the scary noises and then he steps back again and then it's all quiet. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, I'm sure that got inspired by Fright Night. Yeah. Because I mean, they look exactly the same houses. Yeah, yeah, no, they do. And, and that, that sort of, that escalation of the nightmare feel to it sort of gives the scene sort of right at the beginning um, where Charlie comes home and Jerry is sat there talking to his mother and she's invited in, into the house, which means that, of course, you yes, know. He's having a Black Mary. Yes. Did you notice that? Yes. And he's <laughs> completely powerless now. And then he can bring himself over at any time. And then he tells Charlie that I might be popping around more. And it's just that, that and the look on William Ragsdale's face is 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 priceless. And how yeah, the glee. Oh, shit. Yeah, it is a proper old shit moment where where, where you've got Jerry Dandridge's character, you can clearly see, and Chris Sarandon, he plays it so well, is that he's the glee he's taking in torturing him, which then leads to the scene where he comes into Charlie's bedroom. And that that scene, we get that great humour from that scene, and then we go to quite a sort of visceral brutal home invasion scene when he's got him by the throat and he's just picked him up and he's dragging him around his room and his, his, his feet are kicking and hitting things. It's, it's yes, really... him into his wardrobe. I did, I did laugh at that, though, because he first of all he says to him, do you want to wake up your mother? But then he throws Charlie into the wardrobe, which instantly would wake up anybody. Yeah, well, it depends. <laughs> I know some people who will sleep yeah, through might anything. Valium, who knows? Yes, yeah. <laughs> But it's a great. Yeah, I actually I can sleep through anything as well. So yeah, I, I take that back. Yeah, it, it's you know there is it just adds to that to that whole scene. And then like I said, you get the great pencil through the hand movement, which still makes me go ow. You know every single time. And then you see him <laughs> sat there, and Billy is tending his hand, and he's sort of you know he's dripping blood into the um, into the, in, into the water. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a really really good scene. Um, and the other great scene I love is the vampire test. Oh, the, yeah. The vampire yeah. test scene. And where that moment where Roddy McDowell opens up the uh, the case uh, with the mirror. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Because he's not believing him. This whole time he's not believing him. And, you know, he supposedly gives him holy water, which turns out it's not holy water. It's just tap water. Yeah. And he drinks it, prove. And so he's sort of ushering them out. And that's just when, you know... Um, Peter Vincent brings out his little compact mirror. He looks in the mirror and he can see all of them apart from Jerry Dandridge, who, as we know, vampires have no reflection. No. So he suddenly he's disappeared. And that's it. And I like he doesn't – he just instantly panics. He's like, right, let's get out of here. Let's yep. go. Come on, chop, chop. Because yeah. he suddenly realised, you know, Charlie's not pulling his leg. This guy, Jerry Dandridge, really is a vampire. Yeah. So, yeah, Roddy, Roddy plays it fantastically. And, I mean, one of the things that uh, Roddy McDowell, um, in terms of, like, his character choices, um, he sort of based part of his character on the cowardly lion from The Wizard of Oz, which I think is – which, again, is sort of – is a really interesting take, isn't it, for this, you know, for his character. I love Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing that we got to talk about is this film is very, very quotable. There's, you know, there are so many great lines in this. Um, Lots of them, of course, fall to Evil Ed. Um, (laughs) You know, you get the, you get the classic, you're so cool, Brewster, and the laugh. Um, uh, (laughs) Just, that's what the making of's called, yes. by the way. It's 
hard to get, but that's it's worth watching if you love this movie. And then he gets another great line where he says, to what do I owe this dubious pleasure? I love that. That's a great line. It's a great, great line. <laughs> and then the line... How many has the term children of the night been used? Yes, yes, yes. And then he's got the line where no, with, um, he gets the cross on the forehead and it burns the, 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 the it burns that mark into his forehead. And then he that's sort a of, great, a great yeah. effect, isn't it? Very, yeah, very simple, great effect. And then he turns around and he says to him, "The master will kill you for this, but not fast, slowly, oh so slowly." And his quirky <laughs> line delivery is superb. <laughs> uh, you know, it just works really, really well. And then you get the Chris Sarandon line uh, where he says, "Welcome to Fright Night for Fright real." Night. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that it's that place on my soundboard. I mean, if I was more prepared, I would have had them. But just, uh, you're delivering them beautifully, Hugh. Uh, well, I, you know, I try. <laughs> it's not like I've spent hours <laughs> practicing in the mirror or anything at all. Moving along, okay. <laughs> now we've, we've covered a huge amount. Is there anything that you can think of? that stands out for you that, that that we haven't talked about yet? Anything that jumps out that we haven't sort of covered yet? Well, I did want to mention, first of all, that um, this was actually edited by a chap called Kent Bader. Now, he edited This Is Spinal Tap. So that's that's not a bad little section of movies to have under your belt, is it? No. Um, well, yeah, but, no. I, do, I do like This Is Spinal Tap. It's such a good film. It's so oh. good. It's so good. It's so funny. God, it's funny. It's That's another perfect movie. Yes. And I, I really like as well, I know, I think Lost Boys was made after this. Again, if we had some way of finding out, it would be wonderful. Some um, kind of internet-based database internet would be... Internet-based, sort of thing. Um, but uh, I, I do like there's a shot with, and you're actually in Jerry's perspective. So he's, he's walking along the side of the house and then he jumps and he's obviously transformed into a bat, but you're seeing it from his eyes. And they use that again in The Lost Boys. Yes, 1987. 1987. There we, go. there we go. So I, I really think that's another thing. I think Fright Night inspired a lot of movies oh, made after it. I think, you know, and, I, and this is the thing. Fright Night is criminally, criminally underrated. When you look at any of the sort of, um, you, you read any of the books out there that are sort of um, 101 great horror movies or top 100 it's horror movies. It's, ne it's never on the list. No. It's never no. on the list. And it should no. be. It should be. Yep. It should be. I mean, it's... I hate those lists most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I hate them because I agree with most of them and they just tick me off and then I, then I find myself finding out who wrote that list. So I'm going to write an angry list. Yeah. <laughs> well, not a letter because <laughs> I'm, I'm not old or anything. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it really should be. It, it should be because I, it, I really, thinking about it now, we've, we have podcasted The Lost Boys, we have podcasted The Burbs and watching Fright Night again, I'm thinking... They must have taken that from this movie. Oh, yeah. and they've taken that from this movie. Yeah, and I mean, the, the sort of, you can see everybody sort of, when anybody talks about Fright Night, I don't know anybody that goes, oh, I hate that film. I've never met anybody who says, I, I don't like Fright Night. Even people who are no. not fans of horror like Fright Night. Yes. Because it is one of those films I think you can sort of, you can put on uh, with people, fans who are not horror, and there's enough in there 
to keep everybody entertained, to keep everybody interested. You know, there's comedy, there's 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 great acting, there's great horror, there's great special effects. Um, you it's know, sad. It's, it's funny bits. Yes. There's. Horrific bits, there's seductive bits, sexy bits. It's it's got it's got the whole kit and caboodle. So even if you're not a horror fan, and and for those that want to know, and Angry and I joke about this all the time that we should do a top ten of this. There are boobies. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes, I mean I, I um, and I'm going to cover it um, uh, at some point. Last night I watched um, Barbarian Queen um, from. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I think I think the best way to describe that film would you know or any kind of review would be very jiggly, um, and that's so, so. So I'd be using this quite a lot. It, uh, it would just yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it would just be that continuously. Um, I, yeah, so I don't know how I'm going to review that one, but yeah. <laughs> That. You know, you know what I find funny doing doing the podcast for eighties movies is how many movies like us as kids went to see. And there are boobies in them. And it's it's only just one scene. It's just one scene of boobies, that's it, like trading places. Or, yes. Uh, yep, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I, I actually did a list. I did a list of booby flashes that there's no other nudity or anything in it. It's just this one-off. Oh, got to, and Fright Night's the same, right, yeah. at the beginning. While Charlie's looking out the window and his girlfriend Amy's in bed and she's finally gone, come on, let's go for it, but he's been distracted, and yes. he's looking out, and he sees there's Jerry in his house with this beautiful-looking girl. Yes. With very firm, firm breast dealers, and he <laughs> takes her top off, and you're like, oh, here we go, but then you never see any nudity for the rest of the movie. No, no, and I think so. Like, it's like, tick, tick. <laughs> yeah. Box ticked. Thank you. Moving on swiftly. Right, okay. So, but, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, one of the inter- other bits of this is the ending to this film that originally written was very very different the ending for this um didn't they want peter vincent to turn into a vampire live on television so it was going to be the end of like the fright night show and then he was going to transform sort of Allah the howling which i don't think would have worked i don't think it would have worked they didn't do that i don't think it would have worked at all I don't think it would have worked in any way, shape, or form. So, here we go. I know this, you know, it's sort of, for me, I think this is a fantastic blending of horror and comedy. I think um, what you get with this film is great practical effects. You get great acting from everybody involved. I don't think there's anybody in this film, really, who has um, a who sort of you know sometimes you you watch it in films and you see a member of the cast and you go oh god they they kind of phoning it in it, nobody do- the ball. yeah yeah nobody does that here nobody does that here um, no and it's a, it, it's sort of it is a for me it is um, it's I think it's essential horror I think anybody who is a horror fan needs to see Fright Night and needs to own it. It needs to own it. Now, for me, and of course we do scores here, uh, for me, I would give this a 9.5 out of 10. I Look, I 
I'm so close to that. I gave it a nine out of ten. I very rarely go above the nine point, but this is as perfect as it can get. It's such a rewatchable movie. If it's on TV, even if it's halfway through, you're going to just sit down. Oh, and yeah. watch it even watched it fifty times. It's it's a, a great movie to own, and yeah, I look. It's very very hard to fault any of it. It's it's good fun. It's not look. It, we're saying horror comedy. It's not Shaun of the Dead. No, it's not that because there actually are scary bits in this movie, but yeah. they're not so fine that you couldn't show young teen kids. No, I think they'd no. still really enjoy it. And yeah, I can't recommend it enough. So yeah, I'll give it a nine out of ten, Hugh. Yes, oh, nine out of ten and a nine point five. So mm. we've been going now for the best part of it, nearly an hour and a half. <laughs> it's just yes, we have blown by absolutely blown by so Gidge where mm. can our good listeners find you well you can find Angry and I where the Retro Cinema podcast you can find us at iTunes Stitcher Radio TuneIn app we're also on Facebook you can find our gifts that my partner Colonel Kickhead does for our podcast on Instagram we're also on Oz Podcasts Spreaker Podbean, Blueberry Podcasting, and supported by ACPN Podcast. So you can find us anywhere. Just go into Google, type in the Retro Cinema Podcast, and the page will come up, and you can listen to us anywhere. You can listen directly from our site. However you want to listen to us, you can do it. And I cannot recommend the show highly enough. It is a superb, superb show. Yourself and Angry are just a great, great, great team. A dynamic duo of podcasting. It, it, It is fantastic. So I really, I, I enjoy the show. I love listening to it. i got a couple that i got to catch up on because I just haven't, had, I'm way behind on some certain things, but I'm going to be binging it at some no, point. I'm, I'm the same. Yep, I'm the same. I've got some podcasts I really need to, to listen to, but uh, I'm, I'm heading heading interstate very soon so I can listen to them while on the train. So nice. I'm looking forward to that. Yep. So I would like to say a massive, massive thank you for being on. And I'm sure... <laughs> At some point, you will be making a return. Um, if we could tempt you with possibly oh, uh, uh, maybe something related to a certain individual by the name of Max, who gets rather mad at certain points, might be. Uh, I, I would be up for that. Absolutely, I'm the biggest Mel Gibson fan girl ever. So that would be fantastic. Was <laughs> yes, happy, and we'd love to have you on when we're doing. We haven't done a horror top ten yet. So when we do, expect a phone call, dear Hugh. Give we us, would love to have you on. Give us a shout. Name the time and the place, and I shall be there. I shall be there. You're on. So it's a date. On behalf of everyone who's listening, Gidget, honestly, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a blast to have you here. I know our listeners really enjoy listening to you. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, Hugh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on, and I uh, look forward to returning and having you on our podcast. Yeah. Ciao, ciao, Hugh. Take care now. Bye-bye. Okay. Once again, thank you to Gidget for being on. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for What the Wookiee Watched. And at first, we have got the remake of Night of the Living Dead from 1990. Let's check out the trailer. They came to pay their respects. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Why do you have to be so cruel? What? Show some respect. 
now, they're running for their lives. A biologist in Stockton, California, have released reports focusing on the phenomenon, specifically on that trance-like state. Every shelter is becoming a trap. Are you sure we're going to be all right? Cooper, you got to help me out! And every road out... Don't stop no matter what happens. ...is just another dead end. They're coming right for us! Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Okay, that was the trailer for 1990s Return Night. I not only said Return of the Living Dead then, but no, that was the trailer for Night of the Living Dead. Of course, this is the remake directed by Tom Savini, written by John A. Russo, and of course from George A. Romero's original script. It's starred the Candyman himself, Tony Todd, Patricia Tallman, Tom Towles, uh, McKee Anderson, uh, William Butler, Katie Finneran. Of course, Bill Chop Top Mosley makes an appearance in this one. And i got to say, this is one of those rare occasions where a remake works really, really well. The uh, Some of the issues uh, with um, the original are kind of ironed out, uh, particularly in terms of Barbara. Uh, Patricia Tallman plays a far more active role as Barbara um, and becomes the, uh, the hero of the piece, essentially. Um, and... Tom Savini is, is, I think, a much, much underrated director. I think it's a really, really good film. Um, does it still have the impact that the original has? No. Um, is it perfect? I don't think so. However, it is incredibly entertaining. I mean, for a film that runs at about, oh, I would say 92 minutes, um, and that's the uncut version, um, it moves along at a cracking pace. Um, I think Tony Todd is excellent. Uh, however, there is a you know some of the dialogue is a little bit clunky and that kind of sort of uh, does drag it down a little bit. However, um, it's a very very good film and Tom Savini does an excellent job. Uh, Greg Nicotero, interestingly enough, provides the effects on this, Mr. Walking Dead. So that's always worth seeing. And for me, this one is, I would say it's an 8.5 out of 10. Okay, up next on What the Wookiee Watched, we have got H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon. Let's check out the trailer. We are in a boat off the coast of España. Honey, our stock could be going underwater and we wouldn't even know it. What are you doing? I'm just going on vacation. I'd say we've got a storm coming up. Brace yourself! We're gonna have to take the raft into that town for help. We need help! What kind of church is this? What the hell's going on here? <gasps> I'm uh, supposed to meet someone here? A woman? Senorita? 
tell me what's wrong with everybody in this town? I tell you a secret. No one leaves. People come, but no one leaves. Why are you trying to kill us? What do we do to you? I am Ushia. I've been waiting for you. Barbara? They give And the child will be immortal. If it happens to me, you've got to promise you'll kill me. Forget your world and your friends. There will be no time. No today, no yesterday. Only the forever. And forever. And forever without end. I don't have a choice, do I? Okay, that was the trailer for 2001's Dagon, directed, of course, by the legendary Stuart Gordon, well known for his adaption of Lovecraft's work or interpretations of Lovecraft's work. Because I don't think we've ever really had a true um, Lovecraft movie, really, except for what the Lovecraft uh, Society have done, where they did the Call of Cthulhu um, it's in a silent film uh, version. It's absolutely brilliant. So if you ever get a chance to see that one, it's well worth it. It's quite hard to track down, but it is well worth it. However, we are talking Dagon from 2001. And like I said, it was directed by uh, Stuart Gordon. Uh, it was written by Dennis Paoli. Uh, that's from his screenplay. Based on the short story by H.P. Lovecraft, The Shadow of Innsmouth. Um, now, this starred... Ezra Godden, uh, Francisco Rabel. Now, Francisco Rabel, unfortunately, passed away during the making of this. Uh, it also stars uh, Raquel Merono, uh, Marciema Gomez, uh, Brendan Price, uh, Bridget uh, Boffalo, and Yuxi Bianco. And I've just butchered all of those Spanish names, so I do apologize to every single actor involved in that. Um, this is a Spanish-American production. Um, it runs at, ooh, I would say it's probably about 98, 90, yeah, about 98 minutes. Um, and I've got to say, this is a really, really underappreciated film. Um, it's very, very clever. There's lots and lots of nods to Lovecraft, of course, being a Lovecraft movie, particularly sort of uh, the shirt that uh, the sweatshirt that Paul wears, the character Paul wears, is a Miskatonic University sweatshirt. Um, this has got um, uh, it's it's quite chilly in some parts. It's quite chilling. Um, the characters themselves are sort of these aquatic um, half man, half octopus, tentacly type creature. Um, they all look very, very slimy. There's an absolutely terrifying um, sort of mermaid-esque type uh, creature as well. Um, it's very, very good. Um, it's it, it you 
in a, as with a lot of Stuart Gordon's film, the characters are a little bit tongue-in-cheek and some of the acting can seem a little bit big at times. But I really, really enjoyed this film. I think it's much uh, vastly underrated and it's well worth a look. If you can track it down, I think it's available on Amazon. Um, I was able to pick the DVD up for about uh, a pound, actually. Um, so it's well, well worth it. And for me, this is a 7.5 out of 10. Okay, now we come to 1983's Sleepaway Camp. Let's check out the trailer. Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to sleepaway camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba, Reba! Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Sleepaway camp. You won't be coming home. Okay, that's oh, I, you, that's a great trailer. That's a great, great trailer. You can't beat a good '80s slasher trailer. So, of course, this is 1983's Sleepaway Camp, directed by Robert Hiltzik. Uh, Hiltzik. Hiltzig, yeah, I'll go with that one, and written by the man himself. It stars Felisa Rose, Jonathan Turston, uh, Karen Fields, Christopher Collette, Mike Kellen, Catherine Carmi, uh, Paul D'Angelo, Thomas E. Vandell, uh, Loris uh, Dyron, and Johnny Dunn, Willie Kirsten, Desiree Gould, Owen Hughes, and Robert Earl Jones. Now, I'd never seen... Uh, sleepaway camp before um and luckily nobody had sort of uh, i'd heard that there was a bit of a twist ending to it and nobody had ever told me this so i'm not going to go into any spoilers on this one but holy shit is it worth waiting for um this is a great film uh, this is a great 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 slasher um the acting is terrible the uh, <laughs> um, the dialogue is uh preposterous at times however it does have the best cast of foul-mouthed 10 year olds I have ever seen committed to screen. Um, I loved this film. I thought it was really, really good. <laughs> um, the effects are pretty good. The kills are very nasty at times. It does drag in parts. Um, and some of the... Um, there's some real quirky type characters in it. And uh, in terms of if you sent your child to this camp, you would have some serious reservations uh, in terms of the old child protection issues that are kicking about in there. However, um, it is worth hanging in. There uh, is this the best slasher? No. However, it could have one of the most shocking endings to a slasher movie that I think I've ever seen. Um, I did need to go and have a lie down in a dark room afterwards because I was quite traumatized by it. Um, for me, Sleepaway Camp is a 7.5 out of 10. I couldn't give it any higher because it's not a perfect film, but it's got a fantastic ending and it is well worth hanging on in there. Um, however, you know, you can see this one on YouTube. 
I'm sure it just pops up occasionally. Um, and I think it's available on Amazon as well. But like I said, Sleepaway Camp from 1983 is a 7.5 out of 10 for me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of another show. That's right, our time draws to an end. But don't panic, we'll be back soon enough with another chilling, exciting episode. As always, I've got a couple of shout-outs. I want to give a big shout-out to my gothic gal pal, C.L. Raven, um, who are tearing it up at Edinburgh HorrorCon, I think, as we speak. Um, they, they, you know, all st- and Stalking Power Rangers seems to be their big thing at the moment. <laughs> uh, of course, I want to say a big shout-out to my man, Jay. Um, now, he's changed his Twitter handle, so I think he's changed it over to... Um, Freddy, Freddy something. However, get yourselves over. It used to be it happened again blog, um, but get yourselves over to his because it's well worth it. Um, he's a great guy, Freddy Fred, uh, Freddy Fenech at Freddy Fenech. Um, his um, his blog is fantastic. As always, I want to give a shout out to Al and his dad Jeff over at Cadavercast. Great, great, great show. Um, my brother from another mother, of course, Leighton, who will be back on the show very, very soon. Um, of course, a shout out to the ever, ever wonderful and impressive Mr. Peter Nielsen, um, who hopefully will be able to get back on soon again. Uh, of course, I want to say uh, a big hello to Joel and Daryl over at Retro Movie Geek. Great podcast. Get yourselves over there. Of course, um, to Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, to Wolfman Josh, and of course, Jay of the Dead. Massive, massive uh, shout out to them and their fantastic show, um, horror movie podcast. It is the, it's a brilliant, brilliant show. So it's worth listening to. Uh, of course, my man CJ over at uh, VHS Revival. Now we have to shout out to Mr. Slash Trash himself. <laughs> guys if you want if you're into your uh, slasher movies get yourselves over to his twitter handle it is well well worth a look um, always invite him of course Paul Hayden over at Schlock Horror another Aussie friend of ours been on the show now twice we're going to try and get him back soon um, and of course I want to say thank you very much to Gidget for being on um, really really uh Really, really grateful for her taking time out and uh, being on. And, of course, you can find her at uh, the Retro Movie Cinema. Great podcast. Get yourselves over to iTunes, guys, and subscribe. And whilst you're over at iTunes, if you really like this show, please, 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 please drop us some five-star ratings. It'll help get this show out there and get us known. So, ladies and gentlemen, our time together now draws to a close. And that's all that's left for me to say is, in the immortal words of Count Duckula, good night out there, whatever you are.
This is Al from Cadavercast. You've been listening to Thunder Wookie. The back.